1: So one of my
3: teachers, one of our teachers, was a, a man named Manindra. And one of the great kind of core instructions he gave to me was something like, why are you so upset about that thought that has come up in your mind? Did you invite it? Did you say at 15 I'd like to be filled with self-hatred, please? No but we react as though it was all our fault, you know? It's a lot of blaming, a lot of shame, a lot of distress over what we're thinking, over what we're feeling. Whereas the, the point of mindfulness is to be with whatever's happening in a different way, more balanced, more present, more interested, kinder, all kinds of things, right? So what's happening per se is not the crucial question. How we are with what's happening, is is much more crucial. And it's hard to believe. And you know, we're we're quite conditioned usually to be very judgmental about what's happening. And these days, in terms of kind of social cachet, because meditation has gotten so much more popular, it's even worse. I think. Like, if you were to any of us, me too. You know, if we were to leave here on Sunday and run into a friend and they, they were to say, how was your meditation? What we would like to say is, well, you know, it was a little bit restless in the beginning, but then it just like this peace, this unfathomable peace just came over me. And then it began to like shimmer at the edges and like (laughs) turn into bliss. Then it was bliss and peace and bliss and peace. We don't want to say I was bored. I got sleepy, my head hurt, you know, but. In truth, not just consolation, but in truth, from the perspective of mindfulness, it's not good and bad. Everything has its enticement or its challenge. And to say we have more balance doesn't mean we don't feel anything, that we're inert, that we're um, uncaring. It's not that at all, but there's a much more spacious sense of possibility rather than being locked in. So... um, Is a word in Pali, the language of the original Buddhist text. The word is papancha. And I like it. I think it's like one of those words that sounds like what it means. It means proliferation. I think it sounds like popcorn. (laughs) Proliferation. And I heard one translator once describe it as the imperialistic tendency of mind, where something happens and the whole world is taken over. So here's my favorite story about that, which in a way is kind of a Joseph story. Um, Joseph and I were teaching somewhere and sitting in the kitchen of this place having a cup of tea when someone came in in some distress and said to Joseph, I just had this really terrible experience. So Joseph said, well, what happened? And he said, well, I was sitting and I felt all this tension in my jaw and I realized what an incredibly uptight person I am and how I always have been and I always will be. And Joseph said, you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? And he said, yes, and I've never been able to get close to people, and it's never going to change. And Joseph said, you mean you felt a lot of tension in your jaw? And it was really interesting for me, kind of watching them go back and forth and back and forth. And finally, Joseph said to him, why are you adding a miserable self-image to a painful experience? It's painful enough, and genuinely so. It's not going to suddenly become like rainbows and, you know, butterflies. It hurts to have tension in your jaw, but we don't have to add to it. Now I'm going to be alone for the rest of my life and try to bear that all at once. So that proliferation is what we're learning to relinquish. It may well come up. We have any kind of experience in the moment and the story will start to run. And stories aren't all bad. You know, sometimes they really unite us or they show us things we didn't realize we could do or whatever but many times it's just that kind of anxiety produced or kind of useless proliferation and so we have a choice in other words if we're present if we're aware we don't have to take every thought to heart we don't have to build a self-image around every feeling and yet we tend to and so We often begin and return, as we have, to anchoring our attention in the feeling of the breath so that we're just developing and growing the sense of stability of attention. If other things come up, we don't resent them or fear them, but we can see them as other than with the same kind of skill set involved to see the difference between The actual experience, the proliferation that may be starting to grow, the judgment, you know, the imagination that it's going to last forever, the feeling of isolation. No one has ever felt anything as crummy as this, you know. We work just to practice letting go and coming back to first the actual experience and then the feeling of the breath. And so we'll sit together now. Once again, sit comfortably.
0: Mm -hmm. there's a line in one of the discourses on meditation. It's actually the Buddhist discourse on establishing mindfulness. There is a line in that discourse, which I had read many times and not given it too much attention. But then at one point, as I was reading through it, uh, the line jumped out and started practicing with it. And it really made a very big difference. In my practice. So there's a very simple instruction in the discourse that says, be mindful, be mindful that, and then in in the equivalent of quotes, there is a body. Be mindful, there is a body. So it's really a simple instruction. The fact that it's in quotes in the discourse suggests that. We actually want to articulate in our minds the phrase. It's almost like making a soft mental label or note in the mind or phrase, oh, there is a body. There is a body. And it's just intermittently repeating that phrase. And what that does is it helps the mind settle into the very effortless, easeful awareness of your body in the sitting posture. You're just reminding yourself, yes, there is a body. See if you can actually feel yourself settling into the awareness of your body posture. There's nothing to do, nothing to change. It's just settling into the body, kind of feeling of the whole body. The body becomes the framework. There is a body. So settle into this now, and i'll I'll do a short, guided <clears throat> practice. sitting comfortably, sitting in a dignified posture, and spend the first minute or so. Just using that phrase, there is a body very softly in the mind, and then taking the time to settle in to the feeling of the body sitting, very open,
4: non-effortful.
0: The mind is not doing much,
4: simply open and receiving the feeling of the body sitting. There is a body.
0: And within this framework of the body, you may begin to feel the sensations of the body breathing. There's no need to narrow the attention on the breath. You can keep the larger frame, there is a body, and simply feel the sensations of the body breathing within that frame. Staying with the larger framework, there is a body. (laughs) Simply be aware of the sensations of the breath within that, as they happen naturally.
4: No need to force the breath or pull the next one in.
0: We're grounded in the larger framework, body, And then within that, simply feeling each breath as it comes by itself, long or short, deep or shallow, doesn't matter. As the body is breathing in, simply know you're breathing in. When the body breathes out, simply know you're breathing out. If you find your mind gets too tight around the breath or is efforting too much, you can go back to the awareness, there is a body. Occasionally repeating that
4: phrase, there is a body. Feeling the body posture.
0: And then simply becoming aware of the body breathing within that framework, within the framework there is a body, you may become aware of hearing different sounds. Simply being aware of the
4: sounds coming and going in that open space of awareness.
0: You can occasionally make the note, there is a body. It's a way of settling into the awareness of the whole body posture. And then simply being mindful of what arises within that framework. Maybe the feelings of the body breathing, maybe sounds. When you feel the sensations of the body breathing, you might make a soft mental note of in and out, or rise and fall. Really just a whisper in the mind to help connect you with the actual felt sensations of the body breathing in, the body breathing out. when you notice that you've been lost in a thought or carried away in a train of association. Pay attention to that moment when you wake up from being lost, that moment of recognizing or thinking has been happening. Simply take a moment to feel the difference between the experience of having been lost that deluded state of mind, the difference between that and the feeling of it being awake and alert and aware. This becomes obvious in the very moment when we realize that we've been thinking. We wake up from being lost.
4: And come back, there is a body
0: Resting at ease in the awareness
4: of your body sitting.
0: And within that framework,
4: there is a body. Becoming aware of the sensations of the body breathing. Aware of background sounds,
0: and aware of being lost in a thought and waking up from being lost. What is that like? Do you have any questions about these beginning instructions? whether it was helpful to use that larger frame, there is a body within which to feel the breath, or was it not helpful?
4: I appreciated placing the breath in context of the body and your comment to not narrow the focus. That was helpful. Mm
0: -hmm. Thank you. Good. I've also found that just to be a really big help, because even with something as simple as the breath, it's very easy to get in, entangled in some way with it, you know, of wanting it to be a certain way or efforting for concentration, something. We're, we're adding something often, not, not always, of course. But I found, and with many, with many meditators, found this was a way of cutting through that. Yeah.
4: There's a greater sense of ease.
0: Oh, great.
4: It was helpful to um, <clears throat> refocus on the body, and a sense of ease came with that. And today I don't have any pain in my body, so it's great. But I'm wondering if, on another day, when there may be some discomfort, how do you deal with that?
0: The same way. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, that's going to be the challenge, which we're talking. We will be talking a lot about. So I'll just. There's one teaching of the Buddha. I'm a little hesitant to mention it now, because it's a very high bar. So we could say this is this is an aspiration, but I love it because it's so uh, uncompromising. You know, in terms of understanding, of understanding the potential and the depth of genuine freedom, you know. So we're not talking about something superficial here. We're talking about a profound transformation of consciousness, which happens gradually. Uh, uh, in the text, it said, you know, the Buddha was teaching, and he said, as long as there is attachment to the pleasant and aversion to the unpleasant, liberation is impossible. Every time I hear that, I kind of sit up straight. <laughs> because clearly, that the, the teaching uh, was that as long as there's attachment to the pleasant and aversion to the unpleasant, liberation is impossible. But of course, this cuts to the very depth of our conditioning. We were all, almost all of us, unless you're a fully enlightened saint, we do have these deep conditioned tendencies to want what's pleasant and to not want what's unpleasant. So this is the great challenge of our practice, is is to see, okay, this is the pattern of our conditioning. It simply creates more tension and suffering, because then we're living very defensively you know, trying to hold off the unpleasant, trying to hold on to the pleasant. And in the meditation practice, even if it's for short moments at a time, don't don't underestimate or overlook what can be learned. Even in short moments, when we have that openness, that frame, settled into the body, and then just as we can be aware of each breath as it shows itself, and we'll be talking more about this. We can be aware of each sensation as it appears, whether pleasant or unpleasant. You know, where we really get to that place of equanimity, yeah, unpleasant simply feels like this, pleasant feels like this. So, this is the ongoing challenge of the practice. The more we develop that,
4: the more at ease we are in our lives.
1: So I have a question about um, the, okay, the actual framework of the body, right? So let's just say, hypothetically speaking, there's a lot of oatmeal right here and I've been lost in thought for quite some time and I've kind of gone like that. My capacity to breathe is not great. So so then um, when I become aware of the framework, I'm like, well, my framework
4: kind of sucks right now and I'd
1: like to move it. So I'm like, whoa, I'm not supposed to move, you know? So like that whole dance, but really between the oatmeal and the posture, the breathing's not so hot. So yeah.
0: It's really simple. Move. Less oatmeal.
4: (laughs) (laughs) That is so not the answer I wanted. Yeah.
0: It sounds a little funny, but the recommendation, there is a recommendation. Pay attention to, how much you eat and the relationship of that to how the body feels you know you're not doing much heavy lifting here you don't you don't need a lot of food Mm -hmm. so really pay attention to that as Mm -hmm. the other thing is you're not actually feeling the oatmeal because there's no sensation called oatmeal What what you're feeling is maybe tightness or heaviness or contract, you're feeling certain sensations. Mm -hmm. This is a really important point because it has tremendous implication, not only for the meditation practice, but for our lives. We confuse, we generally or often confuse the concepts we have about experience with the actual felt experience itself so in other words we're overlaying the concept oatmeal on top of these uncomfortable sensations the reason this distinction is important is that the concept is not changing oh the oatmeal oh why do i have so much oatmeal oatmeal So we're really lost in the reification of oatmeal. But if you see, oh yeah, that's a concept. What what's the actual felt sensation? Mm -hmm. Then within that whole area, I think you'll feel a lot of changing movement, you know, different intensities and different locations Mm -hmm. and different qualities of sensation. When you're dropping into the actual felt sensations and really seeing how they're constantly changing. Just by that, the mind uh, drops back into a more interested, non-reactive space. Whereas if you're framing it all in terms of the concept oatmeal, mm-hmm. then, oh, why did I have so much? Or whatever, self-judgment, whatever kind of uh, mind trip you go on about it. Do you, f- do you see the difference mm-hmm. of, of feeling the actual sense? And that's really all you have to do, because then... You're acknowledging, yes, sometimes sensations are unpleasant, sometimes they're pleasant. This is, these are unpleasant sensations, but it's okay. Mm-hmm. It's okay to feel them, and then they, they change. Okay. And less oatmeal. So, don't forget that. Okay, there's somebody way in the back there.
1: Yeah, The question I have is, in doing meditation, and you're concentrating,
0: and you're breathing in your body, and begin again, the question is, can you not
1: be mindful of one of the thoughts that come into your mind?
0: Yes, you can be mindful of thoughts coming into the mind. We're going to be talking more about that um, just as the day goes on and tomorrow. Um, trying to to set out a somewhat progressive uh, set of instructions, you know, and each each session will build on the one before in Burma actually when we when we went to practice they gave all the instructions at once. And so they gave you a little booklet, which, you know, had all the instructions and it's like do it all at once from the first day, which is also a fine way to do it. But we just felt for coming back to the West where people were not particularly familiar or had a background with the teachings or the practices, it made more sense just to build it uh, progressively. But we'll be, talking about that and the nature of thought is itself a very interesting
4: investigation. We'll get into that.
2: Uh, I found uh, quite often during my meditation that after I have tuned into my body as a framework, um,
4: I would notice more and more the, the flow of um, the air uh, in and out, of my nose. My question is: Should I shift my attention to the nose, kind of like narrow it down, or should I step back and just be mindful mm-hmm. of the body? It's
0: mm-hmm. a good question. I would interweave the two, so it's not that one is right and one is wrong. There's different things happen as you as you have different approaches. So, feeling the whole body, there is a body, and then just being aware of the breath within it can really help the mind settle and relax, become calm, open. Narrowing the attention can very much strengthen uh, the one-pointedness of mind, where you're really giving it a more narrow focus of attention. And again, it's not both are good, and at different times you want to have one approach rather than another. If it's getting too tight like this, then you open. If you're sitting and it's, you're feeling very real, too relaxed right in the mind feel like it's spacing out a lot then narrowing the attention could be good mm. so it's really your own investigation and your playing but some interweaving and in a way you can trust your intuition of when which approach is more is more helpful at a particular time okay uh in a moment sharon is going to uh, give some instructions for the walking meditation.
3: I just want to go over again. The walking meditation is walking meditation, but it's also symbolic. Uh, If you have a physical issue with walking or for whatever reason, um, walking is not the point. The point is extending our practice and our mindfulness from a more kind of a particular intentional space of sitting here to life, activity, something that we normally do mechanically and we're kind of breathing life and wakefulness into it, we're paying attention. And this, of course, in our society, which is tending to be so based on multitasking, uh, is a novelty. I was walking down the streets of New York not too long ago and somebody was actually texting and walked right into me. Of course, you know, or we may be on the phone and we're uh, on a conference call, and at the same time, we are drinking a cup of tea and checking our email and doing fifteen other things, listening to the news um, in you know one ear and listening to the call in another, and so we. We miss so much and there's such a sense of discordance, of disconnection that we're just trying to pay attention and we're paying attention to the ordinary experience of something. And we especially use the body. Uh, It's just the most concrete, easiest thing. And there's an element to the meditation practice, which is, oddly enough, it's it's about doing what's easiest because that's the most restful. You know, there are times when we have an an intention, like an object, like the feeling of the breath. There are other times we're just paying attention to what's predominant, because that is the most restful. So if you're moving your hand out to pick up a cup of tea, you feel the sensations of the movement. That's the object of meditation. You feel the warmth, the hardness of the cup. You feel what it's like as you bring it towards you, as you smell it, as you taste it? What's the sensation of swallowing? Things like that. So a standard schedule in an intensive retreat, say at IMS or uh, other places, is a succession of sitting sessions, walking sessions, and then everything in between. And as I said, if for whatever reason you're not gonna formally walk, it doesn't matter. Uh it's it becomes sort of more in that category of activity, paying attention, whatever you do. And often, as I said, it is, it is touch sensation. It's the feeling that we have in our bodies that's the easiest thing to rest our attention on. So uh for example, Joseph and I brought this Burmese teacher Syrah Upandita to IMS in 1984 um, to teach this intensive three-month retreat, uh, which we each and many of our friends sat under his guidance, and we'd never met him before, so it's an interesting thing to do. He arrived the day before the retreat, and the next day, there we were, sitting, so he was the only person any of us spoke to for three months. And we were meeting him six days a week to do these very brief meetings just to describe our practice and get some feedback from him. And we were asked in those meetings to be able to describe one sitting and one walking from the previous 24 hours, which was an interesting exercise too, because he didn't want interpretation. He wanted like data. He didn't want you to come in and say, had a terrible morning. It was more like, well, what happened? Well, I sat down and first I fell asleep and then I woke you know. He might have considered that that terrible either, right? So most of us wrote down one sitting and one walking just so we'd have something directly to say, like I was incredibly sleepy or whatever. So we went through. He also had a kind of a habit, a teaching habit where He would tend to say the same thing again and again and again and again and again and again and again. again, Day after day until something switched inside of you and then he'd go on to something else. So uh, We went through and also it was a silent retreat. So I didn't realize that he was working very individually with people. I thought he was telling everybody what he was telling me, but I was the only one listening, literally because one of the things he had me do was move more slowly. And I noticed people like Joseph were like zipping around the center, you know, and I thought, why isn't anybody listening to him? You know, why am I the only one? What's wrong with me? Anyway, so we got into a thing, Upandita and I, where I would go in with my notes about my sitting and my walking, and before I could read them, he would look at me and say, tell me everything you noticed when you washed your face, which was nothing. (laughs) So I left and I'd sit and I'd walk and I'd try to wash my face really mindfully. And it's simple, right? It's just feeling, feeling the water in my hands, feeling, uh, you know, the sensation of the water on my face when my mind wandered, because of course it did, gently letting go and just coming back to the most predominant experience of the moment. So I'd go in the next day and before I could say anything, he'd say, tell me everything you noticed when you drank a cup of tea, which was nothing. <laughs> So I left and I sat and I walked and I washed my face really mindfully in case we went back to that. <laughs> and then when it's time to drink a cup of tea, I felt my arm going forward and I felt the sensation of the cup and I tasted the tea and I went in the next day and it was tell me everything when you opened the door, which was nothing. <laughs> so I quickly saw where things were going. <laughs> and in my mind, I called it the torment of continuity. Oh. <laughs> But it actually turned out to be the most beautiful experience because, first of all, nothing was more important than anything else. And everything could kind of come to life as an experience of meditation. If I was in the dining room drinking a cup of tea and I got completely swept away in a fantasy and kind of came out of it, the temptation is to do something like, oh, I'm going to throw my cup in the dishwasher and run back into the meditation hall so I can get mindful again but I had to start again right there because maybe that's what he was going to ask about the next day, you know? So I say that in kind of the bigger context of walking meditation. That's what we're really doing. We're starting to bring these qualities to life. And uh, when we say concentration, and especially in movement and activity and walking, it can't be a kind of very narrow, constrained, uptight, Focus, trying to block out everything else, which is often what we think of with the word concentration. We, we have an object or a series of objects of awareness, and we are resting our attention lightly. Like right now, just as you're listening or thinking, maybe thinking of a question, feel the most predominant sensation in your body, wherever it is, lightly. And just have that as a kind of anchor as you keep coming back to it, eyes open. Right? And so you simply feel. That was another thing that was very interesting about sitting with Upandita for three months and uh not speaking about, each of us speaking about our own experience until the very end, which is when I found out that I think it was actually Joseph asked me what I thought about three-part walking, which means three-speed, which I'll describe in a minute. And I said, what's that? Because <laughs> I was like slow and slower, you know, which is really how he had me work. Um, but I, I saw in talking to some people, like right at the end, that some people had really worked hard to try to find new novel sensations to describe to Upandita. And I, thought, I, I said the same thing for three months, every, you know six, every day, so for one day a week. And it's not really about trying to find something spectacular or novel. It's how we are. Remember, mindfulness is a relational activity. It's how we are with what we're experiencing that's most important. And so um, if you're feeling the warmth of a teacup, it's simply that. Okay, formal walking meditation um, is not the same thing as taking a walk. You want an area which is not so extensive where you can just walk back and forth. It, it of course, depends on space constraints as well. Um, I would say maybe the width of this room it could be half the width of this room. Uh, if you can get outside, I think that's terrific. Um The three speed idea uh, is that as you begin a formal walking meditation session, you're walking pretty quickly. And the object of awareness that we're resting on primarily is not the feeling of the breath, but the sensation of movement, because that's the most predominant, it's the easiest to pick up. And what we can pick up in that faster speed is basically our feet touching the ground, right? or our body moving through space. So it might be like touch, 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 or just that sensation of movement. And then if you are in a situation where it works and uh, you feel like it, you slow down somewhat. So that in terms of sensation in your body, you're kind of feeling your leg going up and going down. The next leg going up and going down. And this is not an anatomical exercise, you're not looking for this muscle group did this and that muscle group did that. It's feeling. You don't have to name the feeling, but that's where we're paying attention: heaviness, lightness, swaying, contraction, release, something like that. And then if you are in a particularly um, protected place like here, and you want, you slow down a lot. So that what you can feel is your leg going up and all the sensations within that moving forward, placing shifting your weight, it's like the most bizarre looking thing ever when we moved into the Insight Meditation Society, we were very young and naive, and uh it's how many of you have been there by the way, okay, so it's um you know, this brick brick building and this sloping lawn down to this country road called Pleasant Street. And, and there were just people slowly walking on the front lawn, you know, and these cars would stop. People would actually get out and look like, what are they doing? That is so weird. Um, and then we decided we need to grow hedges, you know, (laughs) as mature people. Um, So you don't want to do this if you're walking down the streets of New York, for example, you know, or you're on a subway platform somewhere. But here, if you want, slow down a lot. It's a very exquisite sense of just picking up all these changing, moving sensations that actually is is our experience of our body. Your attention will probably wander many, many, many times. That's fine. You recognize that and really without harshness or feeling you did something wrong, see if you can let go and come back to that experience of movement. Okay, we're going to do some walking and then come back. Okay.
0: we've talked about becoming aware of thoughts in the sitting practice and the walking practice trying to be alert for the arising of thought and noticing the difference between being lost in it and being aware there's another exercise with thoughts that i found extremely illuminating and very freeing. Um, And that is both in the sitting, but particularly in walking and in moving about. It's starting to pay attention and to keep an eye out for the very quickly passing thoughts that come through, not the thoughts that are big stories, not dramatic, not necessarily hugely impactful but you know just going from place to place or in the walking meditation or just in the activities of one's lives when we start to pay attention in this way we see that there are so many really light thoughts that just come up pay us through disappear and mostly we're not paying attention to them because they're not particularly dramatic So on one retreat, I just started paying attention and keeping keeping an eye out for these quickly passing thoughts in the mind, and it was pretty interesting. Have you had the experience sometime of waking up in the morning, maybe the alarm goes off, you wake up and then maybe for a minute or two, sometimes dropping back off to sleep in in a quick little dream state, and then you know, after a minute or two, wake up and really awake. What I found was that watching these quickly passing thoughts as I was moving about in my life, it was very much the same experience as falling back into the dream state of having been asleep, waking up, and lost in the thought for just even a short period of time, even 10 seconds, you know, but for the time that we're Lost in that thought, it's just like going back into the dream. And then we wake up, oh yeah, this just thinking. And then what I began to notice is that a lot of these very quick thoughts, the light ones, the ones that don't seem particularly disturbing, in one way or another uh, were often self referential, you know, in, a, in an easeful way, not, not in a big dramatic way, but it could be just, you know, planning for something or remembering something, or commenting on something. But the content of the thought in one way or another very often uh, revolved around some sense of self. And so then I put all of this together, kind of the waking up and going back to the dream state, watching these very quickly passing thoughts, those which are often connected in some way or other with a sense of self. And I realized that many times through the day as these thoughts would arise in the mind and if I was not paying attention, if I wasn't being aware of them and just dropping into the dream state for that 10 seconds or so, that I was actually dreaming myself into existence. You know, Because all of these quickly passing thoughts were just reinforcing in one way or another some sense of Joseph, some sense of self. Um, And I like that phrase, dreaming myself into existence. Uh, And it became a kind of reminder to me during the course of a day to be aware enough or awake enough so not to be dreaming myself into existence. Just seeing these, these quickly passing thoughts, really becoming aware of them as they appear. Because each one, even though they're not these are not the dramatic ones, they're not the particularly disturbing ones, but each of these very light thoughts are still reconditioning our mind, even if it's for that short period of time. And the fact that they occur so frequently, so this is not an occurrence that happens once an hour. you know, These, these quickly passing thoughts are happening frequently, if we're not aware of them, we drop into the dream state of them. They are reconditioning our mind in a certain way based on the content, but because we're not paying attention, we don't even realize that that's happening. So I just got really interested, and it was kind of uh, it was, it was like a game. It was a fun game just to be you know, going through the day, moving about with an eye out for these, for these flashing thoughts. Uh, and if we set the intention, the mind can actually become pretty good at it. I guess what was so surprising to me was this: there was this whole kind of class of thoughts or arena of mental activity, which because it wasn't dramatic and it wasn't big, heavy-duty stuff happening, that I had been mostly ignoring it just not paying attention at all, thinking that these light thoughts were not very impactful, but they are impactful in a more subtle way. You know, so there's not a big storm happening, but each of these thoughts that, when we're not aware that we're thinking, you know, when we're not mindful, when we've dropped into the dream state of them, they are conditioning, they are coloring our minds. You know, each one of them. And it's very interesting just to see that. You know, and you begin to get a much deeper sense of uh, the extensiveness of our conditioning with respect to thoughts. So, does it seem clear? Just And again, just play with it. It's, it's like have fun with it. You know, it's just watching the mind as you're moving about. Just keep an eye out, an inner eye out, you know. If Oh, yeah, like that. So we have a few minutes for questions about your practice, if you have any. A
3: question about mental noting. Um, So you could have, using a mental note, and what arises is something about a feeling, an emotion. So you could say anger or, you know, discord or whatever, and come back, or maybe... You should be exploring that and spending more time with that. So how do you kind of think about that? When, when to what technique? You- yeah, I mean, there's no right or wrong, you know, so uh, some of it would depend on the intensity of what's arising. If you can come back, to, some people would say, if you can not come back to the breath, go back to the breath. Sometimes we just can't. It feels it's too big a tug. And it also, you know, we need to um, take care of what we mean by exploring it. It it really isn't the same as why is this here and what am I gonna do about it? But really, what is this feeling? So uh say with very strong emotions, you know, tremendous craving or or fear or anger, uh we tend to get quite fixated on the object. You know, if you really want a new car, you know, with every fiber of your being. Might fixate on what's the upholstery going to be like and should I do this or should I do that? It's very rare that we kind of pivot and say to ourselves, what does it feel like to want something so badly? But that's really what we're doing. We're making that pivot. What does fear feel like? What is the experience of fear? Um, you know, and, and so that's the exploration. That's why we usually start with the body and when I say like watch the anger movie or watch the movie, um, it it implies kind of a a non-judgmental experience where you're simply noticing what is, and that's you know sometimes in that kind of craving we find tremendous loneliness or or we find you know a feeling uh, quite strong but it's sort of normally hidden from view in some other. And so we just see layers and layers. And, And that's also sometimes like if I'm working with somebody in a longer retreat and I'm going to see them a number of times and let's say they're experiencing something like anger, I might say, next time I see you in two days, see if you can name three things you found inside the anger and one of them can be that it's changing. You know, Because that's the place, whatever we're looking at, we can be seeing the truth of change because everything is exhibiting that or manifesting that. And here too, it's another reason why mindfulness is, uh, you know, not only good when we're looking at pleasant or delightful things, because we can see the truth of change in everything. And of course, as just sort of a human being and, in social situations if if somebody said to me would you rather see deeply the truth of change looking at bliss or looking at pain i'd say bliss you know but first of all nobody gives us a menu and and one is not better than the other for the purposes of seeing the truth of change
1: hi um I have come to the conclusion that when I practice,
3: I multitask. In other words, I am aware of my breasts. I'm able
1: to stay with the breast, not that badly. I don't get into thoughts forever. And yet, even though I'm
3: checking my breast on a regular basis, I see images, thoughts are coming. So it's like I have two tracks. I have the breast and I have the brain. So Um,
2: How do I deal with that?
0: Yeah, I mean, according to the Buddhist psychology, consciousness is arising and passing 17 trillion times a moment. (laughs) Now, I don't know who counted. (laughs) Uh, Which is to say that a lot of things are happening very quickly and because it's happening so quickly it can often appear that they're simultaneous you know so you know if you if you twirl a, a torch you know quickly what we see is a circle of fire but actually it's not a circle it's, it's a continual movement that appears as a circle so things are happening so quickly that very often we're not picking up The distinct arising and passing of each one. And so it appears as if there's thinking, there's the breath, there's sounds all at once. As the mindfulness gets, uh, builds momentum, you know, and there's a strong, an increasingly strong uh, quality of mindfulness, we begin to notice more and more things per minute so this is something i call npm's which are noticings per minute you know and at first you know maybe we have 10 npm's and then it goes up to 20 npm's then maybe it goes to 100 npm's where we're really tuning into the the momentariness of the flow so at that time you might begin to see that it's actually sequential you know hearing a breath sensation but at other times it might not be, you know. It might feel like all of this is happening at at one time. So then I would simply be with, uh, as Sharon mentioned, foreground background. So even if it appears that things are happening simultaneously, you can notice or give attention to what is in the foreground of your attention, even if there's some awareness of something in the background. So there doesn't have to be any conflict or fight. With these different experiences um, okay, I'm about to say something if it if it really goes in, it will save you an enormous amount of suffering <laughs> so <laughs> and we we've talked about this already it's say it again. The essence of the practice is not about what it is that's arising. It's about how we're relating to what's arising. And so the essence of liberation, the essence of the free mind, and the Buddha talked of that and he uses this phrase a lot, liberation through non-clinging. So really what we're practicing is not clinging but almost everybody forgets this and thinks that we're practicing for an experience. So we're with the breath, so that we have a certain experience of concentration or experience of, I don't know they you remember from the quote last night, that the aim of practice does not have gain, honor, fame, does not have even virtue or concentration. The essence of the practice is the mind that's free from clinging. So in whatever way we're experiencing things, if you keep that in mind, then it's just to be with however it presents itself. If you're seeing the momentariness very quickly, fine. Then it's not clinging to that. If you're seeing things More things happening, seeming to happen simultaneously, fine, don't cling to that. So, the mantra for this understanding, which is a little awkward English, uh, but it kind of gets to the point it doesn't matter to what you don't cling. Which means that we don't have to be waiting or developing a certain experience in order not to cling to it. Might as well not cling to whatever's happening now, whatever it is, because that's the essence of the practice. It's not about the experience. You got this. <laughs> we need reminding of it a lot because I see it myself and many, many meditators that we're practicing for a certain hit of an experience and forgetting that it's really about just not clinging to whatever arises.
4: Uh, so I noticed that while I'm meditating, my most common thing is to intellectualize the process, like I'm explaining it to myself. How can I stop doing that?
3: Uh, before you try to stop doing it, I would just say, see if you can note it or... Just notice, call it commentary, or uh, you might think of a funnier name than that. Coach. The coach is here, you know. Um, Because it's it's the sheer observation of that rather than isolating that out from the flow of other events as though it was like a a permanent problem. You're trying to eradicate. That would be the first step. So it's just seeing it in the same way you would hear a sound. It's like, oh, there's that. So, you know, usually the note is very simple. Um, We get funnier if it's a bigger problem, like Lucy, you know. Uh, So that might be a case in which um, you call it the coach or whatever, you know, the instructor's back. Um, But it's the same spirit with which we, it's like, think of inviting that um, voice for tea or something and you have all the elements you're okay you're present you're not afraid you're not annoyed um, you're kind of almost a little tender that's the kindness but you're also not giving in and that's saying well I think I'll just think this through rather than bother coming back to the moment you know so you find all that just through that that one note or that one moment of being present
0: all the way in the back.
1: Uh, So it's a bit of a comment, but also um, hoping possibly to take it, if there's anything more that needs to be done with it. Um, And that is that um, uh, there is a body. Um, It was like a revelation. And uh, all of a sudden I felt my body in a way I'd never felt my body before. And... um, so today I was sitting with pain in my head and, uh, like intense pain. And, um, I, I use that instruction, there is a body and, um, and, uh, it felt like I had space for this pain. And so the pain kind of dissipated somewhat, um, and there was space. Um, and then I heard the train out there and, uh. Thought there's even more space, and um, and then it was just this deep awareness that there is pain, and in a way that you know was like understanding that in some deep way. And just to add a bit of a story, uh, my dog died, my fourteen-year-old dog died two weeks ago, yesterday, and um, before he died he howled, and it was very distressing in a way for me. Um, It seemed that he might be in pain, although it wasn't a howl of pain so much, but he did die after that. And um, so there just was this profound acceptance that there is pain, Um, even, you know, for him. (laughs) Um, So um, I just wondered if there's anything you might say about that.
0: It's perfect. I mean that that's the whole point of that instruction. It does create more space. It's very interesting by using the phrase "There is a body," and you can do that in walking as well as in the sitting. That's the same effect. It actually, what we realize, even though we're using the phrase "There is a body," The effect of that is to realize there is no body, that it becomes sensations in space rather than something solid and fixed. So your experience is exactly the point of it. So that's good. Uh, so we we need to end, um, just two things. One is you can try using if, if you found it helpful, that (laughs) phrase, there is a body as you're walking, whether in walking meditation or just walking around. Just experiment, you know, with, with framing it that way and see what happens, because it can be something very similar. And the other is just, through the next period of time, keep an eye out for those quickly passing thoughts. And even as you're doing whatever you're doing, just be watching and notice what happens as you do that.
1: Okay. Okay. Thank you. Hey, folks. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Sharon and her ongoing teaching schedule, as well as online courses and a free guided meditation, check out her website at SharonSalzberg.com.